You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi guys, it's Tristan here, part of the APN, kind of in charge of the APN, you'd say. I do listen to these, you know, it's not like they go under the radar and the increasing anti-Irish sentiment on these podcasts have been flagged to my attention and that's why I'm giving you one last chance. I'm warning you, I don't want any more paddywhackery. Welcome to episode 94 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living life in ruins. I am your host, Carlton Gover, and I am joined by my co-host, Connor Johnnan. Strider's gotten out and David's trying to frantically catch him running down the street in Nashville, Tennessee. So TBD. Today's guest is Tristan Boyle, co-founder of the Archaeology Podcast Network and host of the Modern Myth Podcast. Tristan, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. And I can just say, finally, finally, I'm on. Finally, I'm here. Finally, I'm here to deal with some of the things that have been happening on the show. It's funny how your listeners might already know who I am, or at least they know of me, because I've heard that uh, on this show, my name comes up far more often than it need to. Is there, uh, is there anything in particular, anybody, any kind of voices or impressions anybody wants to do at this point in time, or am I waiting for David to arrive to do the impressions? Who's usually the one doing it? Uh, not pointing any fingers, but I think it's Carlton. Yeah, I think that's I think that's me. <laughs> I don't even know how it I don't even know how it started. Uh, the whole us mentioning you on the podcast, I think it was yeah. way back on was, probably in, in, on Slack or something when we were all chatting, and we all changed our profile names to your your yeah, your profile picture. That. Yeah, like, you know what the worst thing is the worst thing is that Chris always gets it mixed up where I'm from and. To be absolutely fair, I don't blame him because I am a bit of a mishmash of a lot of different places, you know? So, like, I'm I'm half German, but I grew up in Northern Ireland, and I now live in Scotland. So, like, I'm, I'm a mishmash of lots of different things. So I can understand if some people think I'm Scottish, but I am definitely not. Definitely and not. And you're, you're recording today from Scotland, correct? But I am recording today from Scotland, yeah. That's that's kind of that's where I live, but you know, my accent is more Northern Irish than it is Scottish. I know you Americans think there's all one gelatinous blob called England, but we actually do have different places with different cultures and different languages and different food, just like the United States. Well, it can be like offensive if you mislabel said said things calling a northern yeah. irish person an irish person might there's some uh, animosity there you know what you know what that's that's not as egregious as calling you english that is the worst that is the highest like, order. <laughs> but it's like me calling somebody from tennessee like texan you know what i mean like no tennessee is tennessee do you know yeah i mean it would be more egregious uh, if, if we're following that same example like calling a texan a yankee like that i think they would drop their they'd, they'd pull out their concealed carrier open carry firearm oh, would they um, would they drop their 10 10 gallon hat would they yeah <laughs> well there's oh, only been like one civil war between you know the north and the south i think there's been a couple more in england I don't know, you know. Yeah, kind of. Like the UK is pretty is has had its history. Has had its history, <laughs> you know. And I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We we'll see what happens. You know, if you break out of one union, other things might happen. I mean, has I, Brexit I, I, even happened yet? Yes, technically it has, but it hasn't. So it's technically happened, right? It happened like last year, right? So we've just come to the end of the transition phase where all the trade rules sort of changed, right? But the problem is that because of Northern Ireland specifically, some of the trade rules have been kept so that there's not friction between Northern Ireland and Ireland, which would be a contravention of the Good Friday Agreement, which was the agreement that sought peace in Northern Ireland. So without getting too technical, yes, it's happened, but... Northern Ireland is practically still in the EU when it comes to trade. And so it's actually done quite well recently in terms of like economically, because it's stayed basically, you know, it's called in alignment with the EU. So like the trade rules are the same. And 
the rest of the UK has suffered uh, because they are no longer in alignment with the EU. And so there's like 25,000 pages you have to sign if you want to import or export something. So gotcha. I think the thing is that like for a lot of people, they're not seeing the pain yet. But once they do, I I would easily see like Scotland breaking away from the UK. I could see that happen. Because wasn't that the whole point when the referendum for Scotland's independence was up? They're like, no, we should stay part of the UK because we'll be part of the EU. And then like a couple of years later, UK was like, fuck it, we're out. And it's all the Scots <laughs> are just like, are you kidding? <laughs> that, is, that is actually it. I mean, technically, these are two separate things, but they, they did suspiciously happen pretty close together. And to put an analog with America, imagine like imagine the Tea Party set a, like wanted to secede from the Union, like the South would secede again, right? And, you know, like... They said like, oh, no, we're not going to, don't secede. We've got all these great trade things with the rest of the world. Let's not secede. And then Trump comes into power and then puts on tariffs on everything. And it affects like exporters in the South. It's, it's kind of, that, that, yeah. I'm gotcha. not an expert on US politics, but I do dabble. I do dabble. Fair enough. Well, that was a fun, fun talk, but. This is an archaeology podcast. Oh, yeah. so let's, let's <laughs> no, that was I, fun. I mean, it was good for our listeners to understand. So, like, I mean, it, it's fun banner. But I, I am a, I'm a, I'm a really difficult. I'm a great podcast host. I'm a really difficult podcast guest. I can tell you that. Well, we'll keep you on the straight and narrow. So, getting into into today's topic, Tristan, what were your first experiences with archaeology growing up? Because you you grew up in uh, Northern Ireland. And up there, archaeology is an anthropology, right? Like archaeology is history in the UK. We've talked about this. So for for you, like what were your first experiences with archaeology as a kid? Do you know, it's 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 only when I did it at uni, that I, university and college, that I actually realized that I had done a lot of it when I was a child. So like where I grew up, there was like a little local museum. And during the summer, they would always have like fun activities there. And... I didn't think anything of it at the time, but like I would spend a lot of time there, you know, because it was like the middle of the town. It was like there was like playing fields nearby. It was kind of like it was nice and central and it was really, really nice. And I remember always being fascinated with ancient Egypt. So like I would have all these little tiny mini f- f- uh, like figurines that I would love to collect. Um, I had like I asked my parents to like paint my bedroom walls a sand color. Cause I had the idea that I would then paint on like cartouches on it and like learn hieroglyphics and stuff. But I never got around to that because I was six and I didn't have forward planning. So I basically had this kind of stuff going on where I was really interested in dinosaurs. I mean, who, who isn't, you know, and all of that was happening. But when it came to like, when I was in school, I was always really into science. So I was like really into kind of like chemistry and physics and I remember at you know going to getting ready for university. I went to study chemistry at university, pure chemistry. So that's when I arrived at uni. I did not really doing anything to do with archaeology. I didn't watch Time Team. I wasn't like part of young archaeology clubs. It was almost like super distant to me, right? And it just so happened that I had like my first year of university, we had courses that were set and we had to then choose elective courses. And I remember us going through the book and it was like, the course advisor was like, right, Tristan, let's, let's go to, do you want to do, you know, and flipping through this book, A to Z, like, oh, do you want to do uh, psychology? No, no. Do you want to do zoology? No. Okay. Let's go back to the start. Let's go back to the start. (laughs) Accounting. No, archaeology. Yeah, let's 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 do some archaeology. Yeah, do you know what? Sign me up for archaeology. And he's like, "Oh yeah, these are compatible courses. You can even do a degree program in chemistry and archaeology." I was like, "I'd never be doing that. I'm just doing chemistry, but I'll do a little bit of archaeology on the side." And that's that's how it started. It was only until I did my first like graded assessment in archaeology and I got like 90% and 
And I was like, what? I haven't written an essay in years. I, I, are you sure? Is this, this is too high. What? I, I think you've got the wrong person, you know? And it was just that, 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 that got me. That got me. But I still was like, I'm doing chemistry, I'm doing chemistry. It was only in second year when I chose archaeology again that I was introduced to the wonderful world of archaeological theory. And I was hooked. I love archaeological theory. You're like the first guest ever to say that. I absolutely (laughs) adore archaeological theory. You're wearing a Bruce Trigger shirt right now. (laughs) I I absolutely love archaeological theory through and through. It is what sold archaeology to me. Because I will say this, as much as I do love digging in the dirt, and I really do, I also think that there is a really cool and viable way of thinking about the past that's really, really important that doesn't get enough attention. Like people say to me, oh, well, why is archaeological theory important? It's like, otherwise, you literally have dirt in your hands and you can't do anything with it. You need archaeological theory to not only do your work, but to actually engage the public at all. I think, I to me, archaeological theory was the cornerstone at which I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I, I don't know, I, I mean, I'm not that big on Ian Hodder, right? Just going to make put it out there. But like, mm. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but like, I think, I think the important thing is to realize is that like, you know, we, we had, we had like cultural heritage, we had processional archaeology, we had post-processional archaeology, and like, what's the next point? Like, great, we've had those, fantastic. Where's the next bit of theory? You know, because that's what's always bothered me. Is when I was like learning about this, it was like, oh well, well, of course nothing's happened. You know, we've reached the end of history. We've reached the end of theory, and I, I really don't believe that. I think that the way that we can adapt ourselves to the study of the past is something that's dynamic and constantly changing. It's just maybe it's one of these things that you can't see it until you're past it. But that that's why I think archaeological theory is so interesting. I, I don't know about you guys, like, is there anything redeemable about archaeological theory? I think post-processual paradigm kind of opened it like it's an umbrella term right it's not just like one view because underneath post-processualism you have materiality you have indigenous archaeology and you have like all the it just kind of like fingered out to all these different views of looking at at the past and i think each one of those subfields is like really fascinating to look into although the materiality stuff can get pretty pretty dense pretty quickly and i get confused by that really, really fast when I'm reading an article, especially if it's coming from like Mesoamerica and trying to understand some of this stuff. Like, but I, I've seen a couple things. Like I have a colleague who's looking at um, economic theory in uh, Mesoamerican side societies, which I found, you know, pretty extremely fascinating. We've had Ray Sumner who's looking at like military theory and applying mm-hmm. it in, in the archaeological record in Plains history. So I like theory. It's, it's, the way that I, I look at it, and I don't know about you, Connor, like I kind of view theory as like a toolbox now rather than it's not like that's what you come with one theory. That's all you do at your approach. You have basically this giant tool set of different theories and you kind of use the right one for the job. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's a it's a mechanism to be to be used to understand the past is what I do. And I'm, I'm way more into quantitative kind of stuff just because that's where my research interests are but you melding it with this these different paradigms and working mm-hmm. within these and connecting it all is is really fun is really interesting and you really can ask good questions and answer good questions about the past when you when you use and combine all those things yeah i think it's important to state there's like there's no i don't think there's any right way of doing archaeology in in a sense because there are so many tools in the toolbox and i think it's important for us as archaeologists to always be open and expressive about these methodologies because ultimately that is what separates us from pseudo archaeologists and pseudo intellectuals is the ability for us to say actually it's not just my feeling on this it's not just my random thoughts on this i actually have a fully referenced background i have a methodology i have like you know like you can pick and part what i'm doing and why i'm doing it and that's why i think 
you know, selling selling theory and branding it and marketing it something positive is so important because, you know, like the, one of the biggest struggles I think archaeologists have, especially in the public sphere, is, you know, how do we say that we're better than the pseudo-archaeologists if we're just copying the way that they're talking about it? No, I'm an archaeologist. I know better. Well, that's what they say as well. You know, we, we got to find better ways of explaining that. But yeah, you actually want to know how I became, <laughs> got into archaeology a wee bit more. Because at this point, um, my second year, I'm still not doing an archaeology degree program. I'm still doing chemistry. And I'm consistently getting higher marks in all my archaeology courses than my chemistry ones. So I, halfway through my third year, so Scotland do four-year courses for undergrad. And halfway through my third year, I said, I spoke to one of my course advisors and I was like, can I switch my degree? And they said, are you joking? And I said, no, I would like to switch my degree. Can I switch to archaeology with chemistry? And they were like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, but, 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 you have to do a dissertation that mixes archaeology and chemistry together. And I said, fine whatever so i had basically a topic handed to me <laughs> well not handed to me i was kind of like asked do you want to do something like this or something like this so i ended up doing trace mercury analysis in ancient hair samples and that was really 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 fun really cool technique that you don't really get to see a lot of because heavy metals are not they're not as easy to fingerprint as other isotopes so like trace metal analysis is there's got a, you have to figure out a lot of other stuff with it. You know, it's not like nitrogen or carbon. That's, that's really interesting. I think the, the melding of chemistry and archaeology makes a lot of sense to me now. It might not like up front when you're starting to study archaeology, but having the background in both is huge because like you, you said, you can, and, and we'll probably talk about this more in the next segment, but can you give us like the elevator speech of what you learned from from the analysis of mercury levels in hair samples in the place I can't pronounce in Alaska? Oh, uh, so the place is Nunalik no. uh, in Alaska. And it was, well, the, the idea is that because mercury uh, in its organic form is more kind of like readily available to animals in the water column, you would think that marine animals should have higher levels of mercury than land animals. So if you took the carbon-nitrogen uh, ratios and compared them to your mercury samples, you should have a kind of a correlation. But we don't know about the diagenic alteration of mercury. We don't know what happens to it when it's in the ground. And even though these hair samples were from permafrost preserved soils, it doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't some sort of post-depositional alteration at some point. That's the fancy elevator speech, just because I wanted to use post-depositional alteration in a sentence. Thank you. Excellent. So those are processes that occur after an object has been deposited into the soil, correct? Yes. And it's my next Doom Metal album name as well. Thank you, Tristan. And with that, we'll be right back with episode 94 of a Life in Ruins podcast. Welcome back to episode 94 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we have our favorite producer, Tristan Boyle. We, we asked this question to Chris, but we wanted to talk to you about the founding of the APN and how you ultimately got roped into starting a podcast network. So let's go back to 2014. I was doing my final year of university. I have probably, I've been podcasting in one form or another since 2008. So I've almost spent half my life podcasting. It's pretty crazy when I put it like that. But I remember being at the end of my uni kind of life and thinking, hell, I want to do an archaeology podcast. Or, you know, like, I'd be interested in doing that, but let me hear what other stuff is available. So I was listening to every archaeology podcast I could find. And I'll be absolutely honest, they didn't intrigue me in any way. Number one, none of them were focused on theory or talked about how good archaeological theory was. So that was a real bummer. And they were all pretty safe. 
like they were really safe like oh here's an episode on the romans in britain during this time oh great here's an episode on like ancient mesopotamia okay interesting but there was nothing that was like gripping or dangerous or angry you know and so i was like you know what i need a dangerous angry out of the box kind of podcast so i decided to put together drum roll please and puns ready the anarchaeologist podcast oh that was really good well timed so anarchaeologist is meant it was always meant to be a kind of like a like fuck you to like uh the kind of like easy like kind of lazy kind of like uh, here we're going to present to the public in a nice uh digestible way i wanted something different and so for my first show i had a chat with Andrew Reinhardt of the Atari Dig fame about Arcu Gaming, which back in 2014, I'm pretty sure, and people can dispute them, me if they want, wasn't as big as it is today. So I was one of the first people to talk about it. Or alternatively, the better way of looking at it is Andrew Reinhardt was one of the first people who was willing to talk to me, knowing nothing about me, and I think I really do owe him that uh, because he was one of the people who said, yeah, OK, I will. I will talk to you. So I started that in around like July, August 2014. And I actually was listening to the CRM archaeology podcast at the time. And I think it was probably about September that Chris had put a call out in one of the shows that he did where he was kind of interested in getting some people together. And I kind of said, OK. I'm going to go and chat to this guy. He's some weird American from Nevada. Let's let's see what he's got to say. And uh, yeah, I, I guess we kind of just started chatting and we both had similar ideas. Like I'd been the head of production for student radio when I was at university. And so I had a, like a background in organizing. So we kind of decided that, yeah, we'll put some stuff together. There was another show, Jenny McNiven's struggling struggling archaeologist's guide to getting dirty and so all three of us were kind of on board right let's start this the archaeology podcast network i mean i'll be absolutely honest chris did most of the legwork and i hope this story matches up with what he said uh, otherwise you have to I, I, because rachel's the editor for our podcast and no, no, I, 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 I plead the fifth if i got anything wrong she just bl- blanks the whole thing out. <laughs> Re- redacted, redacted. Uh, but that, that's kind of like, that's how I remember it. And I remember having discussions about like, how do we get other shows on board? How do we get more people involved? How do we get more conferences involved? And I think we realized pretty quickly that we would have to do a lot by ourselves because at that time, especially, nobody trusted a podcast. Nobody knew what a podcast was. Like, legitimately, I had to explain what a podcast was to people, which it feels like if I said that I had to have explained to somebody what a podcast is nowadays, that would be really weird, you know, because everybody knows everybody's got a podcast, you know. It's, um, it's one of those things. I like the joke, like, what what do you call four white guys in a room chatting together? A podcast. (laughs) Yo! It was the Cherokee Nation. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Whoa. (laughs) Jesus. Right, okay. Uh, David's back. (laughs) (laughs) David's missed a lot, I, I must say. Yeah. David's on the verge. No, never mind. I'm not gonna go. There. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> yeah, let, let, you remember what I, I mean, said before the recording. Only one of us is allowed to be. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's kind of where we that's kind of where we started with that. You know, that was kind of like, and I think at the time and now we 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 just wanted to kind of get to more and more people. You know, like I think we've always just wanted it to be something where really interesting people who have great stories and are passionate about the past, like are able to have like a bigger and bigger audience. I I think that's a really important thing. It was never for world domination per se. It was always the benefit of other people. 
so like yeah that's kind of kind of where it started so you you, you wanted wanted people with passion and 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 drive and you know intelligence and then you got us yeah well i was going to say like we then realized <laughs> pretty quickly we had to just make do with what we had uh what came to us you know um <laughs> I can't say anything like I, I like I used to have good show numbers until I stopped. Like I, I, I have a big problem with being organized and sticking to stuff. I honestly think something, something in my brain is not working properly, but like you guys get a lot more downloads than I do. So that means, that means you must be accommodating to some audience out there. Some people like listening to you. Well, we got dangled the advertisement revenue in front of us. Like if you if you record more and post post more, and we finally did. And Chris was like, "Oh yeah, but we don't have any advertisers." And we're just like, "Dude, what?" Like the whole reason we've been doing all this is, is for numbers, man. But now yeah. that has changed thanks to our yeah. very brilliant and easy to use recording platform Zencaster, which uh, is now sponsoring the APN. And we really do want to thank our podcasting overlords for giving us such a wonderful platform to make podcasting easier. We get paid for that. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Are we? I mean, cool. to be, to be to, like, and I, w- and I will say this, like Zencasters fixed a lot of problems. Like not, I went back in 2014, like podcasting was a hell of a lot different. I remember getting somebody to download Audacity and record themselves and talking them through that. And then getting them over like a 512 to maybe like two megabit line, like getting them to upload that to me. Uh, I can tell you that that was not fun, not fun in the slightest. So I'm happy for how easy it is to do like uh, podcasting now. It's much easier. Yeah, Zencaster. Yeah, I pimp it out, Zencaster. I pimp you out to all my friends who who do (laughs) podcasting not through Zencaster. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I like this platform, but enough of, of enough of that um, brown yeah. nosing here. People are like, oh, you have a podcast? Like, let me look around in this like plug-in for Audacity, and I immediately just tune them out because I'm like, okay, I'm not five. I don't, <laughs> I don't use Microsoft Paint of podcasting. <laughs> I use Zencaster. Zencaster.com. Check it out. <laughs> Excellent. So, but the APN has, has morphed, right? Like, you guys are extremely busy. Um, managing so many shows, managing your own shows on top of that. And now you guys are reaching out into this new umbrella organization called Colturo in order to grab podcasts that aren't strictly archaeological and, and bring us all under one podcasting theater state. We're not quite an empire, but we're getting there. No, I, I think I think Kultura is maybe even if, if, if the vision for Kultura is even broader than just podcasts. You know, I think Kultura um, represents the kind of like the ideas beyond just podcasting and just archaeology. Because I think as we've talked about before in this episode, things like chemistry and archaeology go really well together, but most people off the back of it don't really realize that or understand that. And I think it would be really good if we can take what we've learned in producing media in the APN and make it just much more flexible for people. And so I think Cultural aims to provide a kind of an open space for like, I don't know if you've heard the term before, but STEAM topics. So like STEM plus arts plus humanities plus everything else, you know, because I think the thing about the Archaeology Podcast Network is it's niche, but it works because you know what you're getting. Whereas we wanted to capture something that was larger and wider. And we wanted to be doing more than just podcasts. We want to be doing like a, a like an open access journal we want to be doing conferences we want to be at some point even doing like courses and stuff so we we've got lots of things under culturo that aren't just podcasts and aren't just archaeology but we're working on making that kind of like we're trying to build that structure a bit better now so that when we finally have it out there it's like it's a it's a finished product and it's ready to go so I know we we have our monthly meetings, and that's <laughs> when I, that I always like them. <laughs> uh, I think our January one was canceled. Chris rescheduled yeah, it, but um, yeah. I don't know if this episode comes out in February, so we might have had gotcha. it by now. But I mean, in order for you guys to pull off Colturo, like you guys would need a lot more hands. So, like, when when is that switch 
if at all, do you think going to happen when you basically do like Colturo full time and create like basically you guys stop doing your side hustles and go straight for this for Colturo? I think I think this is one of those things where, like with all good project management, you have to have the right people in the right places at the moment. I don't think we have enough hands and we don't have the right type of hands. Cause like the thing about me and Chris, the reason why we worked so well together over the years is we're both pretty kind of like, uh, we have both initiative like and drive. Like we both are reliable enough to kind of like, right, I've got an idea. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to build it as much as I can. And for a lot of people coming into the zone that we have, it's sometimes a bit like it's a bit scary to see like how much responsibility you could be given quickly because we're looking for people who are ready to kind of hit the ground running, ready to bring ideas and ready to be communicative. You know, I think one of the biggest problems with organizing something across time zones, across countries, across like the world is communication can fall so easily. And like, I'm bad at it as well. Like I struggle with communication. I I do have to get better. But if you are somebody who's really into your, really good at communication, really good at taking self-initiative and self-starter, like we're looking for people who are interested in not just content production, but like organizing, maybe even like doing like editing for like a journal, like an online open access journal, or even helping us with making conferences happen. That's the kind of people we're looking for. And you don't need to come from like an archaeology or anthropology background. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you guys have enough archaeologists. Yeah, we do. But, you know, with we know you can't get rid of them. <laughs> saying, and I was the one who just signed up and said I would do more as well. But we need people with, uh, you know, those different, those diversity of backgrounds, running businesses, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, social media, et cetera, to, to ultimately make this I mean, thing. Like, go. I'll take, I'll take somebody who's willing to commit, uh, who's willing to commit, willing to communicate. That's like, that's in my books, all I need. You know, I don't need somebody with a big fat resume. I need somebody who I know if I say, look, I need this done. What do you think? Can come back to me and say, look, I'm going to try this, try this, try this. That's that's all I need. Because I've had people with big resumes. I've had people with small resumes. And the people that have stuck the longest are the people I know and I can rely on to self-start and initiate. So that's the kind of people I'm looking for. Yeah, that's not us. We're uh, we're pretty happy with what we're doing. Like, I don't think I could take on another responsibility on top of uh, on top of that. But like, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens with Colturo, and I know I've talked with Chris about helping out if in, in small ways if if I can. But uh, yeah, can you guys tell me how not to spin more plates and say yes to more things? Because like, oh, I haven't figured I'm it out, man. F- I'm five or six, seven ways in my life right now, and I'm just going to get more and more. And it's just one of those things. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I just can't say no to stuff. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to do that, you know? That's so bad. I found that broadcasting that I have mental illness like really helps people like not want to talk to me. Um, <laughs> and that has definitely slowed it down. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I say yes to everything. <laughs> well, David, I don't have that like not, not I don't have that thing to say to people, so like I'm stuck. Uh, I'm unfortunate. Just say you, you lost your gallbladder. I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, but but that doesn't affect my. Okay, yeah, sure, fine. I had I I have tra- I mean I did have trauma in hospital, but like, hey, it's fine. It's fine. It's over. Gone now. David, you did miss a lot. You missed a whole lot. Well, audience too, because we did that. We talked about your pancreas and <laughs> yeah. that the toasties before uh, before, yeah, before we started recording. recording. So, but you're one grilled cheese sandwich away with uh, mac and cheese inside <laughs> from going back to the hospital, man. So I am, I am, I, I am, I, I have to be careful. I have to be careful. I can't, I can't tell you the number of times I've used that I got my appendix out to get out of basically anything. Really? Like, no, no. No, I bet not, it's not a good excuse. Like, did they <laughs> did they do it keyhole to you? Because I've got a massive scar across my belly. Like, it's a huge scar, like a shark bite size scar. Oh. I don't know if you like got that or you got just like keyhole stuff. I got I got keyhole, so it's like a belly button and then like a little bit on the side. Yeah. yeah. Let's see, nah, I've got massive shark bites. So, <laughs> I got I got the scars. 
<laughs> like battlefield scars. That's what you need. So random question. What is yeah. episode of uh, modern myth? Would you recommend for someone trying to get into the, that podcast? Okay. This is going to get really serious for a second, right? Like this is going to get super serious. So like prepare yourselves. So th- my best episode that I've ever done was the episode when the show was still called the Anarchaeologist show. And I spoke to Teresa O'Mahony. That's episode number 33. And Teresa O'Mahony was a mature student who herself was like disabled. And she found that like a lot of things in the heritage sector in the UK were kind of set against disabled people. And so part of her kind of like research work was actually seeing what the conditions were like as in the heritage sector employment for people with disabilities. And she found she was absolutely shocked by how readily people were like discriminated against, even though, you know, there are very strict laws in the UK, as I'm sure there are in America, about against disability discrimination. And so she began working on kind of like information for employers to kind of like how better to enable archaeologists with disabilities and she actually was looking at starting what's now called the enabled archaeologist foundation unfortunately she passed away a couple of years ago and she like i honestly she was again one of these people who saw the benefit of podcasts like you know, before other people did. And she was one of the people who anytime I met at a conference was just really lovely and smiley and just really nice to talk to. And, you know, so I, I think that like, I listen back to it every year, at least once. And for me, that was the, one of the really, really tough ones to listen to and to work through because it, it is, it is, terrifying and shocking and also kind of like it makes you feel it makes you feel really sick inside that you know we have a sector that looks at people you know it looks at studies people studies history of people has you know like it's difficult to go through like an anthropology or an archaeology kind of course without touching on sociology and the study of discrimination and a fundamental understanding that of human humans as human beings and to see then that not translate into a empathy and an understanding, you know, day to day, that makes me feel as if like people aren't listening or learning to the stuff they're like reading. So yeah, I'd say episode 33 of the Anarchaeologist podcast, Now Modern Myth, is with Teresa O'Mahony is probably the one to listen to because I think, in my opinion, it's like it's the best guest i've ever had excellent man that's a good way to end the segment with that we'll be right back with uh, segment three and with tristan boyle here after these messages hi you're listening to the a laughing room podcast uh, with me your guest tristan boyle i don't know where i'm from here but uh I've, i'm doing an accent because these guys think i can so uh we're going to talk a little bit more about archaeology and it, uh, my favorite part of it which has got to be the unarchaeology. That's the opposite of archaeology. All right, <laughs> pleasure to meet you, Southern gent. Yeah, so let's let's talk about unarchaeology. What is uh, excuse me? What what is unarchaeology? Unarchaeology is the study of no. I'm I'm not I'm not going to do a whole episode like that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I I posited like so the coolest thing I've ever heard of is an unconference. So an unconference is apparently the opposite of a conference. So going back to Andrew Reinhardt from earlier in this show, uh, Andrew Reinhardt is one of the first kind of like digital archaeologists I kind of bumped into and. I remember when I was kind of researching for having him on the show, I came across a thing that he did called the unconference. And the unconference was like, you like did your presentation as like music or like a beat poet, or, you know, like you you did something like that wasn't just a speech. It was not meant to be like that. And it ended up like, it sounded like a party. It was so cool, but it had like, you know, research in it. So I always like, that feels very punk, very DIY to me. And as 
the anarchaeologist, of course, I'm all over punk and DIY stuff. You know, for me, like deconstructing the traditional ways of doing stuff is cool in my game in my head so when it came to like lockdown i kind of was like i need to do something i need to do something different right and i need to do something that's not apn not archaeology podcast network i need to be something fresh new separate something where i can literally no holds barred i can do something different so i had this idea that like it'd be cool to do like an online panel like a, a discussion, but like really talk about the meta aspect of archaeology, like archaeology itself. So like I've had the pleasure and the privilege to like sit on like work committees for like the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists here in the UK. And I've been on the Scottish like group part of that. And that's about like representing archaeologists in the sector like things that affect them, you know, like kind of job rules and grading and everything like that. And like, I find that the employment side of archaeology is extremely problematic. Like you you don't have, like there's no real career progression. There's no set levels. There's no, like pay is kind of like pretty awful. And the expectations that people have for you starting out as an archaeologist, I think are ridiculous. Like, I honestly, I do not think that somebody should be expected to do two years of temporary work so that they have enough experience to then get a permanent job, maybe. You know, the idea that like somebody has to like, oh, travel from A to B to C to D across the country for like weeks at a time in order to do like a job. And then, you know, like in order to be like, that's the bare minimum and that's the expectation for everyone. I just think it's like, I don't agree with that. And I think what it does is it individualizes people. It splits them up. It atomizes people. And so that's why like in our, in, in, uh, in the UK, there's only in the last couple of years, archaeologists have begun to like join unions. Like before that, no, it was every, it was like a, every person for themselves, you know, a dog eat dog world. You know, I'm, I'm helping your American listeners to climatize that. I kind of was very frustrated with this because I feel like it's the same in academia as well, because like, I feel like everybody's like doing their own little thing. And then even in podcasting and online media spaces, everybody is doing their own little tiny thing. Everything's fragmented and disconnected and it's all pieces, right? So there was a couple of people who I knew in Scotland who were kind of interested in stuff that like kind of artsy programs and like projects that are not really kind of like kind of blue sky thinking kind of things. So I remember sitting down on a Zoom chat and saying, look, I've got this idea. What do you think? And we talked through this, you know, and formed these ideas into like a panel of like, well, what how could we phrase this, what I'm summing up here? How could we get people to talk about that? So I don't want to talk about like methodologies. I don't want to talk about like, you know, like certain time periods. I actually want to take the mirror and reflect it on us as archaeologists. Why are we like this? And what's the problem here? So I took this idea and I thought, I've got this in August. I can set up a live event for November. I just need a couple of pairs of hands and I'll be fine, right? Reader, I was not fine. I was stressing. So I put out the call on all the social medias and I was like, I don't even know if anybody will respond. And then it just kind of happened where people were kind of like coming to me and saying, hey, can I help organize? And then another person, oh, can I help organize? And it's like all these random people came and came to me and I thought, wow, this WhatsApp group's not going to be big enough. So um, we had this big WhatsApp group and then we had our first meeting and everybody kind of was really, really keen to add their piece. Because the thing is, I realized that one of the biggest problems that we have in archaeology is that people like myself, you know, like a straight white cis man 
are, we're usually the head of everything, you know, like if you looked at any kind of de- head of department, if you look at like in the UK, head of CIFA, head of like at the time, the Council for British Archaeology, head of the British Museum, like the institutions are all headed by people who look like me. And so one of my kind of things was like, well, maybe we need a really diverse panel. So I put that up front I'm looking for like diverse organizers and diverse panel. And because I put that there, that's the kind of people who ended up coming to me. And we realized pretty quickly that like there wasn't enough for just one panel. We needed at least two. So that's how it became panel one, disconnectivity and fragmentation in archaeology. And panel two, DIY archaeology or mutual aid archaeology, whatever way you want to look at it. And that's how our archaeology was like created, was from this desire to talk about ourselves, to hold up the mirror. And no matter how ugly it looked, no matter how weird it looked, we had to talk about archaeology and archaeologists ourselves. I think that's needed everywhere. But I just, yeah, I kind of decided I want us to do something and I just put it in motion, you know? Yeah, I I think that's why a lot of... It's like comedy specifically, but other like trades where they have podcasts. It's not so much like for comedy, for example, like you're not listening to it to hear them do stand up. You're listening to comedians interact with each other and be funny and talk about what they do and like that whole culture. Um, I know there's a lot of like food podcasts for the same way and then Mm -hmm. actors talk about it. So like archaeology, yeah, you could watch some like BS thing about Egyptology on curiosity stream, but then like you could, we're not sponsored by them by the way. Uh, but you could also listen to podcasts like yours or ours where it's people just, you know, shooting it and like talking about yeah. stuff, but there also needs to be more like you're saying, it's more like, you know, about meta about archeology. span yeah. yeah. Cause like, I don't know how it is. I know bits and pieces about how it is in the States, but like, I still feel like we're, there's a lot of barriers that doesn't don't need to be there in the heritage sector you know like and i and i don't know why like we re, we know what these barriers are we know what the problems are but like it still feels like everybody's just on a shoestring budget all the time and that excuse gets trotted out all the time i don't know if it's the true in america but like in the uk if you want to be in the heritage sector like your parents better have some money so that you can do all the free like interning you want so yep. that you can actually get in somewhere you know it's not it's not merit based it's like based on like getting in you know it's 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 bullshit you know yeah, yeah. The, the version of it that we have in the states here is, is shovel bumming where you don't have a you don't have a central location you don't have a house you don't have anything no. because you can't afford it and you're yeah. you're like on this kind of i mean for some people it works and you know good for them but that's how you have to get into archaeology is like living this nomadic lifestyle where you can't have any commitments to anything or yeah. whatever or you go into get or in academia and get a higher degree so you don't have to do that I mean, like the 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 first archaeology. Like, I've been a commercial archaeologist for like all of two months because I started in like October, and by the by December, I was like, I've got literally no jobs I can go and do, and I've got rent to pay, so I need to get out of archaeology. But I remember there was a guy who was like thirty in his thirties, and he'd been doing commercial archaeology for like at least a decade or more, or like at least a decade. And he said, like, he he's training to get out. He's training to be a plumber because, like, he's not got a mortgage. He can barely save. Like, he wants a family. And he couldn't do it being an archaeologist. So, and there's, like, I know there's people who listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, but I managed it. Like, great. But, like, this should not be the norm. And that's the thing is that archaeologists usually are really really intrigued and interested about what they do they're really passionate people and they're really dedicated and so they'll put up with a lot of stuff and that goodwill i feel is like being abused like a lot of things in the pandemic especially the goodwill of people has been like the credit card of goodwill has been used up it is maxed out it is overdrawn and it's time we start like treating people better 
you know, and I mean that as a, as a sector, you know, I think if we want archaeology to be better, we cannot just continue doing the same thing over and over again and thinking something's going to change. So like, that's why I would like to see a proper unionization of archaeologists in America, because I think that the shovel bum model, as great as it is for some people, should not be the, the way of doing things. Yeah, and in the U.S. it just takes to get blacklisted by, like, one person in a company to be, like, screwed with either, like, Tetratech, Tetratech, Paleo West, or or someone like See, that. That's, like, that's, that's ridiculous, you know, because, like, I'm sorry, but I've not got on with everybody I've worked with. I've not got on with all the managers I've worked with, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad worker, you know? And this is the other thing. Archaeology, let's be honest, is really cliquey as well, like... You know, we all know the cliques and like, I, I, yeah. And the thing is like, I have, I've just, I've blocked people before I've ceased communication with people before because like, I, you know, I don't want to enable somebody, but like at the end of the day, I feel like the cliqueiness is really a big problem. And that's why for me doing projects like unarchaeology is a way of kind of reaching out and stretching out the kind of people I work with. So I'm like not just doing APN stuff. So I'm not just the podcast guy. I'm actually trying to contribute to a platform that doesn't actually put my voice first, but actually allows other people to speak. You know, that that's the, I mean, that's the other thing about an archaeology is it's always meant to be like for other people, not for me. And I think that the best thing I ever did with that was I relinquished a lot of control. And I think that in a lot of projects nowadays, I am going to relinquish control a lot more and allow other people to put their input in. Cause I think that's again, missing from archeology. span Everybody holds on to their projects and their funding as, as they've learned to, because they're worried that any kind of like release of the grip and it's all gone. It's all gone in a flash. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. It really is a shame. We're definitely clicky. That's a, a thing. And at least in the States here, I don't know how different that is in any other industry like there's always like you know it's who you know and yeah yada yada but like in archaeology for sure maybe just academia it is pretty prevalent i mean like yeah i wish i wish like i I wish it could be better you know because like even in the uk a couple months ago we had like a lot of archaeology departments being shut down just for, I don't know, wide range of variety of stuff. I mean, the government has pulled funding for archaeology courses and like humanities courses in general, but archaeology comes under it. And what it means is that like universities are then not incentivized to put in archaeology courses because they don't get any funding from the government for them. And mm-hmm. so we have a shortage of archaeologists in the UK and now we're cutting down the number of graduates who are going to be archaeologists and it's just it's you know it's it's there's no support there's no support and so you know even when there are groups and campaigns to kind of support archaeology there's a lot of kind of like suspicion about why those groups exist and who's leading them and who's part of them and why are they doing that and there's just a lot of yeah, there's a lot of suspicion and cliqueiness and it's it's a problem. It really is. Because the thing is, ultimately, all of us, we want to advocate for an open and thriving public archaeology. Because, like, let's be honest, archaeology is public archaeology or is nothing, you know? What's the point in doing any research? I will fight anybody on that. Archaeology is public archaeology or it is nothing. Because... What happens when you put all these numbers and dates together and like nobody sees it? Like, what was the point? What is the absolute point? So, like, I will fight on and die on the hill that, like, unless you do it, unless something you do contributes to public archaeology, I, I don't know why you're doing it. Well, and if you don't, if you don't put it to wider audiences, you don't get more diverse people in the discipline excited by it. So it it just like promotes this like rich usually white kind of <laughs> discipline if you're not talking to the, the public as a whole as part of it. I completely agree. Yeah, 100%. Well, 
Tristan, that was fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. Finally, we really appreciate you being here, man. So before we end the show, what are a couple uh, sources, these books, articles, videos, et cetera, that you would recommend for anyone interested in, in your work and in the topics that we covered today? I think uh, I've written two bits. So there's one called Vox Archeo, Podcast in the Past, and that's a book chapter. Uh, it's open access, free to read. The other one's called Middens and Microphones. It's also free to read. If you just type in my name and Middens and Microphones, you'll find it just talking about podcasting and archaeology i would really i would say a great resource uh, is internet archaeology the open access journal and i would say anything on that is really really amazing and if you want to find out anything i do check out the archaeology podcast network and check out modern myth i do have an episode ready almost ready to go out it'll probably be out by the time this episode is out and i also am on twitter far too much so if you want to follow me at an archaeologist you can hear me kind of complain and shout there cool um anywhere else they can find you on social media oh. i could give an instagram to you i don't really use it it's not okay. worth it it's not worth it i don't post on instagram i'm not one of those influencers you know i, I don't <laughs> I, I don't uh you know like I, I don't know what what do you do on instagram do you gram stuff like what's what's the thing what's the thing so i take it you have no control over the apn instagram account but i'll put no, that it's in not, another it's, place it's it's nothing it's nothing to do with me i i'm i'm a boomer when it comes to instagram like i'll take i'll take that hit i'll take well, that hit. you can find the archaeology podcast network on instagram, instagram is visual twitter to me for people who can't read yeah 100%. nice nice yeah. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If given the chance again, would you still choose to live a life in ruins? Every time. Excellent. Well, everyone, we just interviewed Tristan Boyle. You can find him on Twitter at Anarchaeologist. Um, you'll be able to find all of his social media contacts and his sources in the episode description wherever you are listening to this podcast. Please be sure, guys, please, 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 por favor, please rate and review the podcast. I will show you pictures of my feet. I will hold a bag of your feces. Just give us a review on Apple uh, and wow. you'd be really helping us out. Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I will hold. If you mail it to me, I'll I'll do it. Do it because it would be funny no, at that point. No. Uh, <laughs> but please, please is give this us a what, Is this does this get cut or does this get left in? Jesus Christ! What is the standard? What we is leave the it to standard? Chris. <laughs> <Rachel>. <laughs> yeah, you should totally. Yeah, you should totally rate and review the show because it makes us all happy and. If if nothing else, if you can increase someone else's happiness, why choose not to do that today? See, that is the difference between the Atlantic Ocean and us over here. Yeah, It'd I be mean, nice. it be like, wait, wait, sorry, sorry. Didn't I threaten to break someone's legs last time? So let's let's did. not let's not sugarcoat yeah. that. You know, let's not sugarcoat that. But yeah, please be like a can of spinach on Apple who gave us a five-star review. One of a yes. kind. These gentlemen make a great show. The topics, the guests, the host, the format. It's all enjoyable. Glad I subscribe because they release content very regularly. Please give us feedback. We need to know. We have, yeah, our reviews come few and far between. So please, please, please rate and review the podcast. And with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. A baby whale is talking to his dad. He's like, Dad, where did I come from? He's like, and the dad's like, from my penis, of course. And the kid's like, oh, thanks. And the dad says, you're welcome. Oh. Thank you, Connor. Oh. <sighs> it's funny, just like not the usual type of joke you tell. <laughs> oh, no. Do you know, I thought the penis thing was going somewhere. Like, I really, I was waiting for that to be relevant. Like, you could have literally made that joke without... Do you have a phallic kind of, like, fixation, Connor? Like, do we need to talk about your father? Do, do we need father? to... <laughs> um, Connor does. A meme. We all do. It's a, it's a visual meme on Reddit, so... Okay, we're done. I, that was really something really funny. Hilarious, actually. And you know um, where I come from? 
The way we express laughter is sometimes by doing someone's knees in. Be careful, it might be yours. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Come.